Okay, motherfucker! What are you looking at, sir? I'm looking at you, miss. not the Zodiac. And if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special One Thief Minute. Yes, that's right. It was a mini-series that was honoring the life of Jimmy Khan, resplendently stuffed with great people who've been part of the One Heat Minute Productions family for a long time. And then a monstrous guest, thanks to Rob Belushi, his dad, Jim Belushi, coming on to remember the making of the film and working with Jimmy and honoring him. Such a pleasure to do that couple of episode show. But just as all selfish podcasters should, I reserve the right to start the car in the garage of any shows that have previously been retired and parked and they feel like they're out to pasture. And I feel like uh, the person that I'm talking to today kind of compelled me to do so. A couple of things happened. As always, I am such a huge fan of Brightwall Darkroom. They're huge friends of the show. Um, and two things happened. My guest, Sarah Welsh Larson, wrote about Michael Mann's thief and the great Brianna Ashby drew jimmy and so two Incredible things illustration you, you you have my you have my curiosity now you have my attention and you and uh sarah wrote such an amazing piece if you haven't read sarah on brightwall before you absolutely should also becoming alien the beginning and end of evil in science fiction's most idiosyncratic franchise and the co-host of seeing and believing podcast and now the upcoming author of the Seeing and Believing newsletter, Sarah Walsh Larson. Thank you so much for joining me on this One Thief Minute. Thank you so much for having me, Blake. That illustration by Brianna is absolutely incredible. I actually got lucky enough to be able to buy it off her. So it's sitting in my house <laughs> waiting for a frame. And I'm really excited to have that up on the wall. But that was just such a, a lovely gift from her. It's gorgeous. And I actually commissioned one for this very show for her. I got her to just do like a little a little sketch of Jimmy... Uh, relaxing i guess is probably the best way to describe it after being you know soot covered sweating lighting up that cigarette lighting yeah. up that cigarette with satisfaction um mm -hmm. yeah an absolutely stunning stunning image yes i'm gonna i'm gonna see if i can buy a print off of brianna i think i think she already knew that i was going to ask so uh, i was just like oh my god she's like it's yours if you want it i'm like oh, okay fantastic i, I can't get it's the really original cool but but you <laughs> have it and that's all that matters but let, let's take a sidestep so Recently, Brightwall, who I love, you guys were doing a, a high space issue. And mm -hmm. it feels like a couple of strange, weird things happened. Like there was a couple of moments where some people were like talking about Michael Mann in context of the writer's strike as like a scab who was crossing the line and working with the studios and not acknowledging the fact that he was in post-production on Ferrari editing this film he's been trying to make for about 20 years. Mm -hmm. And the it had kind of it, it weirdly caused a lot of like a mini fissure online because people had been using or thinking of thief as a one of the best i don't know cap, cap capitalism skewerings of all time and james khan's character as that kind of guy you know i'm wearing it you know your money is in my pocket the yield of mm -hmm. my labor all those wonderful lines had been kind of like typifying the strike so 
was it just a confluence of that being in the air or were you a fan? Cause I, I'm not sure. I, I want, I want you to tell me everything about your, uh, your kind of fandom of, of this particular film and, 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 and this text right now. Oh man. Um, well I've lived in Chicago longer than I've lived anywhere else. So Chicago is home at this point, specifically yes. the South side. And, um, I don't think I, ha I think thief might've actually been my first Michael Mann movie. So I watched it at a really weird point in time. It was the beginning of the pandemic and we were living literally like right next to the Metro tracks at the time and the trains would go by and the old sodium lights that show up in thief don't exist anymore in the city of Chicago. They've been replaced by more modern lighting, but the Metro trains have that same cast of green. So for the first few weeks of the pandemic, when nobody was out and nobody was doing anything i would just see the trains go by and i would see all of those empty green lights and that was right around the same time that i watched thief so it just kind of stuck in my head for a little while and i love michael mann movies i just i i love the way that he's so focused on process and on the interiority of his men who are not willing to talk about their feelings at all whatsoever and i love that he also doesn't marginalize the women in his movies the same way that the men in those movies do so he's got a lot going for him and thief just kind of stuck in my crop partly because the score is so good the cinematography is so good and then of course there's that performance by james khan that's just it's it's something that is so aggressive and unrelenting that you kind of have to respect it and for me I think he was just speaking my language at just the right time because I was also feeling very hostile and closed off from everything <laughs> else around me. And I needed that story. And I don't know. Yeah, it's just one of those movies that I'm just always thinking about. And so when I found out that Bright Wall Dark Room was going to be doing a, a heists issue, I immediately called dibs on Thief because I knew <laughs> that I wanted to write about that movie. And I've, I've wanted to write about it for a really long time and just needed the excuse to do so. It's, it's funny. It's, there's a, you know, that phrase that's in our parlance right now, like stay angry, you know, mm -hmm. like stay angry. Jimmy Khan in Thief is the, like the archetype. He's the hero. He's the urtext of stay angry. It's like, yes. it's, it's like, I'm going to be unrelentingly myself and you have to cop it. And I think that there's a certain point that's so aspirational in a lot of our lives. He is obviously the extreme, but to be so confident with who you are that, and so uncompromising and so clear with what the kind of life and vision that you want, that he, there's a strange comfort despite his hostility that thief always drags you back in because it's like, this guy knows what he wants and he will go and get it. And if you're an impediment in his way, you better move because otherwise he'll move you. And I, I, I too, like, I, I love being comforted by that. And it's so weird to be so comforted by someone so hostile, but that is, that is a beautiful contradiction of some of these movies. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I feel comfortable knowing a guy like him exists because then you can sort of close your eyes and fantasize in your own life. If you're in a, day job with you know bureaucratic sort of stuff you just like man wouldn't it be great to be a maverick like him and just talk to everyone like he talks to everyone and wouldn't it be fantastic but um it's such as the romanticism and fantasy of this movie you you can't quite yeah. get it it's kind of wild too that Sonny Corleone went on to become even sharper and angrier, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I guess he had a few more years to practice doing it or something, but he's, he's just got that lovely physicality. Like when he's walking across the street, you know, you, you'd better not mess with this guy. 
And that's just him walking across the street even before anybody's pissed him off. He's just, you know, James Cunn, he's triangular shaped and stay out of his way. And I, I love that physicality about him too. Yeah, it's 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 really beautiful. And one of the, there's a couple of lines in your terrific piece of Brightwell, which I'll share along the way that I, that I want to talk about. And one of them, which I think you got to so beautifully talking about the cinematography where you were talking about every interaction with Michael Mann, obviously his composition and, and, and David, uh, sorry, Donald E. Thorne's camera work saying that every conversation, every interaction becomes a heist. And I, I think that that was probably the line of your piece for me, because I was like, oh, that's what it is. It's like the, the, the macro example of this is that everything in this guy's life is a heist and everything's an opportunity and everything is prepared and everything has a game plan and everything has an ABC options of how he's going to get out. And that layering in every interaction, it's like, oh, I get it. Like there is that now, now there's something additional unlocked is that that's why he is hostile to Jesse. And that's why he's there in the room. It's because like, I'm giving you outs or you're coming on the next heist with me. You know, I'm giving you mm -hmm. outs at every opportunity. This is a bad idea. Get out. This is a bad idea. Get out. And if you're still on for all of these interactions, you're in the heist with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that also means that he's sort of Michael Mann specifically is almost implicating the audience and being along for the ride as well, too, because 100%. He, he's brought us in along on this heist and it's something that's exciting. And like you mentioned earlier, wouldn't we all like to be radicals out there <laughs> robbing, uh, I don't know, the spoils of capitalism because what else is there, you know? Um, yeah. And I don't know. It, I think it maybe speaks a little bit to the fact that this is man's first theatrical feature, unless I'm mistaken, right? And um, yeah. it's got that level of focus and drive that I think really only comes with someone who is either a seasoned master or somebody who has their first feature and thinks that this is all that they're going to be able to say. And so they better get it all out all at once. And I like that man is so driven and focused on it's not delivering a message because this isn't a message movie. It's much more of a character study, but he's so honed in on what makes James Kahn's character tick that everything else is going to either be secondary or it's going to prop up that character trait about him. So everything's going to have to be a heist because it had to be a heist in order for him to be able to get out of prison in the first place anyway. He kind of has to almost dehumanize himself to get by in the yards at Joliet Correctional. And then he carries that attitude like armor with him outside of prison because he doesn't know how to survive in any other way. And I think that's one of the things that is most insidious about a system like capitalism that kind of forces you into a box of either being able to be productive or being shut away from the rest of the world because you can't be productive, um, is it kind of dehumanizes people in a way that almost turns them into tools either for more production or for um, subverting the means of production. And I think Frank is one of those characters where he sees an out and his out isn't quite getting there because he's not fully dismantling capitalism. He's just trying to, um, I think I use the term like loot capitalism or like yes. loot capitalism spoils. He's He wants what everybody else has or he wants what he perceives everybody else as having. And because the only way he knows how to get it is through illegal means, he's going to do that just better than everybody else because that's the only way he can get ahead. Um, and that's just such a fascinating motivation for a character is it's not just I want to be rich. It's I want to get ahead of everybody else because I think I've been cheated before. Um, 
and it's it's a beautifully focused motivation. Um, it's also more than a little bit scary. And I think the reason why I like watching Jimmy Khan in this movie so much is because his character scares me. He's genuinely terrifying because he's yes. got that sense of drive and that physicality. And you don't really ever know what he's going to do, but he's on the edge and he'll do whatever he needs to. It's it's so funny. It's be because this theme of Michael Mann's movies, I want to touch really on two big things that you said there. And the first one is there's something beneath that laser focus and aggression and awareness of the, I guess, the inherent sort of lie of capitalism that only people who've been institutionalized can get. And it's a story that is more common than you realize where, you know, a lot of people who are uneducated, lower lower class citizens and, and folks who, who don't have the economic means, they resort to crime because of lack of education and they resort to crime because they want to try and get themselves out of their, their their situation and then they go to jail. And what happens is that strangely enough, when they go to jail, like there is an educa and education happens is because you don't have any other time to do anything. So you're trying to figure out how did I get here and how did I become, you know, just a part of this machine. And so, so many of these guys have complete philosophical awakenings when they go away. And it's some, it's a trait that has been happening since, you know, his first TV movie, Jericho Mile, you know, discovering and being fascinated with prisoners. Eddie Bunker then inspires, you know, parts of Thief, obviously then parts of Heat and mm -hmm. these prisoners and the institutionalization that happens. And then the awakening and education philosophically that happens. And rather than him sort of coming out enlightened his enlightenment is more rage because it's like oh this is exactly what you're saying <laughs> it's like it is a, it's a cheat it's a cheat why would i bother trying to be legitimate when the whole thing's a rigged game so i just got to play the rigged game better than anyone else which is sort of um touches on that beautiful unpredictability that he has but i think also sarah you said something so poignant and spot on is there is something so special about the theatrical movie the first theatrical movie, especially in past generations, because now we've gone, I've got streaming has kind of muddied it somewhat slightly. So there's a, a little bit harder. Sometimes you see someone's first streaming movie and if you don't get to see it theatrically, it's sort of tougher to sort of get a sense of who they are. But mm -hmm. first movies from emerging filmmakers whose voices are so clear. And I'd like think of three off the top of my head all the time, like, or, or even four, it's like Spielberg with Jewel, and you're like, oh my God, who is this? Who is this person? You know, um, the Coen brothers um, with Blood Simple, Danny Boyle, Shallow Grave, and someone like Michael Mann with Thief. It's like, oh, the voices are so clear and so crisp immediately. You're like, oh, okay. This is someone that I have to pay attention to. And there are many others, but those are the ones that pop into my mind of like, oh, there is a very clear cinematic voice here. And there's something so urgent about those that first film by that first really terrific filmmaker and and when they literally throw the kitchen sink at it because they think they may never get a chance to do it again I, there's something love the desperation of the art that you see jordan peele with get out oh for my sure. god yeah, yeah. just the... and i maintain that his movies keep getting better and better <laughs> actually yeah, get out is my least favorite of his and i still <laughs> like it very much yeah um, and then also, um, I guess this one was one that I did see streaming first, but Emma Seligman's Shiva Baby has just a very oh, yeah. specific voice to oh, it. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah, it's yeah. been so much fun to watch that sharpen <laughs> a little bit more with Bottoms, which just came out. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the best parts about it is that that voice, when the filmmaker is really, truly good, 
only gets sharper and sharper. So yes. Thief is an incredible movie. I think about it all the time. Heat's even better. And that doesn't mean that one is like lesser than the other by any stretch. They're still very different, but it's kind of nice to be able to see that raw talent in a slightly more raw form. Sometimes I forget about that with the polish from later filmmakers' works. I'm going to I'm going to pitch I've been waiting for an opportunity to pitch a theory that has just sort of crystallized in my head and I think that this is the perfect conversation to have it. It's that Sweet. I feel like whenever I hear about someone like Barry Jenkins, Ava DuVernay, mm-hmm. or um, I thought about it with Taika Waititi, but he's like drunk his own Kool-Aid so much um, yeah. uh, forever. Like, I mean, his film Boy and The Hunt for the Builder People, um, yes. is, is, uh, like two of those films, two of the best films out of the Southern Hemisphere, in my opinion, this century, and you should see them and they're amazing. Other stuff. I don't want to talk about, but just saying those three particular filmmaking examples that I'll say is I feel like that the, there is like such a toxic or maybe it's like poisonous urge for some of these huge movie studios that what they do is there is an emerging cinematic voice. They make a independent, gorgeous, stunning, original piece of work. It busts through. And if it's Moonlight, it is made for $4 million over two weeks and wins an Academy Award, makes like $100 million. Everyone in the movie goes on to have wonderful careers. Ava, Selma, amazing, etc. right? I then feel like they are the worst like NFL, NRL coaches, whatever you want to call it in Australia. It's like rugby league and states. I'll say NFL for the purposes of the people listening. It feels like that evil NFL coach and system that pays a squillion bucks to get a player and then puts them on injury reserve. Mm. Like you're in our system. You're now part of the NFL. Congratulations. You're on injury reserve. You don't get to throw any passes. They bring them into these systems that like takes, you know, fortunately with we ha- it hasn't happened with Jordan Peele as an example, but like Barry Jenkins is going off apparently making a Lion King movie and bless him. I'm glad that he's making money. Fantastic. But like Ava DuVernay got swamped into the Warner Brothers thing of it all for a chunk of time. Barry mm-hmm. gets chucked into the Disney machine to go do that. Other filmmakers, it feels like they get swallowed up and then they're in the machine and then they don't make anything for like five years because the dumb animated crap that we are, the dreck that we get served is like there. So it feels like they're almost serving time. They're serving mm. time. And and I feel like that's the kind of Robert Fro, you know, that, that, that that's the kind of Robert Prosky of it all here. It's like, I don't want you're in my pocket, right? Like, why am I being a partner? Oh, I can look after you and this and that. And I feel like that's what happens to all of these great filmmakers. They are there and the ones that stay out are willing to kind of burn it down, right? Like they're just willing to mm. kind of stay out. And it's so hard to be a part of this system and to be a part of this world and have a balance before it goes completely off the rails. And I feel like genuinely that like whenever I hear that a new great filmmaker that I'm really excited about is going to be making some kind of Disney BS, the first thing I think about is yes, get that money. And the second thing I think about is this is actually a poison chalice. They're just taking you out of the rotation. So you can't go make a, a movie for 4 million bucks that has massive box office and streaming appeal and they take you out of the rotation like you're out Mm -hmm. now you can't go and make anything that's in competition you're in the system you make it for us 
That really bums me out, especially because it feels. <laughs> I mean, there's no other way to say it. You know, it, it just it bums me out, and part of me wonders if the voice ends up getting pulled into some sort of I don't know, like. It feels as though the filmmakers' voices tend to get diluted by studio notes to a point where there there is not very much distinction, and sometimes you can still see those flashes coming through. Um, I don't know. Greta Gerwig's Barbie really feels like a Greta Gerwig movie, a little much, like much more so than it does feel like a commercial. I there's, think, there's, but there's, I there's, there's worry a little bit. There's some things that are accidents, right? And some, uh, yeah. yeah. Honestly, making a movie about a doll. And I'm saying that with no judgment, you know, mm -hmm. GI Joe, like there's like the GI Joes that's happened before any kind of toy product, um, transformers, obviously the Michael Bay ones are kind of, you know, despite, despite being stranger, like this amazing, amazing treatise on the American military, at least the first three. Um, mm. and it, it's kind of, I think sometimes they kind of go, I don't know if this is going to work, so have a crack, right? And they kind of like let it go. And I think those are more like accidents. Like the first Barbie's like, I'm going to make this uncompromising thing. We're going to do it here. You're going to give us the money. And they kind of were probably sold on the fact that they could sell it with merchandise. They didn't have to make any. And then it comes out and you're like, oh my God, look at this thing. Amazing. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Yeah. It feels like it's got personality. Um, it you know has little vignettes that feel like a um, Busby Berkeley musical and 2001 A Space Odyssey and you know all these gorgeous you know old Hollywood sort of stylings um, but yeah I, I almost feel like some of those get to be an accident because they're like huh on some know. level yeah I, I feel like I've heard that Gerwig did have to fight for a vision but I don't know that anybody else is going to get that level of freedom <laughs> with anything from Mattel ever again which no. again like it, it really bums me out. And what I really hope is that a lot of these directors who do get kind of stuck in studio hell do get the chance to make one for themselves and then one for the studio and so on and so forth. I, I feel like that was something that used to happen a little bit more, but with a little bit more freedom, if that makes sense. So the yeah. blockbuster followed by the the personal project going back and forth. But it feels as though nowadays, if you're going to get to do the blockbuster project it's going to be something that costs 50 million or not even not 50 million that's a ridiculously low number for a lot that's of a, these that's you a know? very modest that's a modest movie 50 mil yeah geez like i don't know what 500 million dollars we'll just say like yeah. a ridiculous amount of money and then if they're very very lucky they'll get to make it back and maybe get to finance something else that they're more interested in and i don't know like I would love to see more people coming out of that system with the same kind of drive that we get in Thief, but so far, I don't think I've seen too many of those. I can't think of any examples off the top of my head. No, it's really hard. I mean, you know, great filmmaker Ryan Johnson, mm -hmm. I mean, makes three movies as uh, the great Christopher McQuarrie, great director, says Ryan Johnson is a genius. He made Star Wars in four moves, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and and then made Star Wars and then got out and the making knives out which then became its own kind of mini behemoth um and glass onion and that series is like locked him up there but he's making his original content agatha christie style movies benoit blanc like now as his franchise of three movies making them together and he's kind of the only guy that yeah. in my mind has like done it has like gone out and then come back like it's you know it's so rare to see someone go in have an amazing entry into a series and then bounce out and then be like, it's all good. We're fine here. Like, thank you very much. You know, that it's, it's so hard to manage. 
and remained a good person throughout, I think, from <laughs> yes. what I can tell. He yeah, seems yeah. like a stand-up guy. <laughs> yeah, really stand-up guy, like a sweetheart. And and yeah, it hasn't hasn't I mean, and if you can't if you can't if you can walk out of being a Star Wars director and still have any faith in humanity, um, I think <laughs> like you're He's a better you're person doing, than the rest of you're, us. You're, for you're sure. doing okay, man. You're doing okay. percent. Um, but yeah, so it's really I, I this movie yeah, I think the the scrappiness, if you like, or the 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 rougher edges, even though that's pretty unfair, because like it feels like it's such an accomplished as far as everything technically. But the mm -hmm. slight rougher edges on this, I don't know, they, they they seem to have a bit of texture. They're like a sandpaper. They seem to grab you. There's something that like catches you every time that this movie's on, and every time that someone talks about it, there's just something more urgent about it. And and I think that you know James Khan was always someone who was respected he was a gigantic movie star in his day and, and but everyone sort of always thought of him more as a personality and he was always more out there and verbose about the stories and those things and stuck in his own iconic franchise of the godfather that always sort of you know he was in one of the greatest movies of all time so people talk about it all the time constantly but i just love i think that i love that this is and since his passing it feels like thief just for his work as a performer has been elevated to a new level of like, actually, if you really want to see this guy be one of the best actors in the world and dwarf everyone, watch Thief, because that's that's kind of the movie. And it was so nice to hear the stories of him, you know, always being super fond of his work in Thief as maybe the best film he ever made. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I miss him a lot. I miss his presence. I miss seeing him on screen. I guess you can always go back and see some of those old performances, but um, I don't know. I, I do miss seeing him being gregarious over on the website that will now remain nameless um <laughs> end of yeah. end of something end of end of tweet end of end, end of, of time end of time <laughs> end of whatever something like that yeah but i feel like even though he was he was so i don't know he was such an interesting presence there's kind of that level of like rough around the edgesness that i think endeared me to him as a person as well as as a performer and what also endeared me to Thief too, like this movie wouldn't be the same movie if it had a lot of gloss to it. Like that's no. not, that's not who the characters are. That's not what the story is. It makes sense that everybody's rough and tumble and kind of suspicious of everybody else who has a little bit of that polish to them. So I don't know, it feels like a perfect confluence of the performers and then the skill level of Michael Mann at that point in time and then everybody else in the cast and crew who all very clearly know what they're doing and they're also working on effectively like almost nothing at all for a, a short amount of time in order to be able to make this this incredible movie like I don't know it, it feels like they caught lightning in a bottle here and that even even that phrase feels a little bit too slick for what's going on I think like yeah. it, it's still got those rough edges and lightning doesn't really have that no and it's also like there's something because michael mann had come out of you know writing television and been making little bits and pieces made his first television movie it just feels like he wasn't able to assemble necessarily like a world beating cast top to bottom but once you get jimmy you then get all these other people that make this beautiful cast real and breathe and hiring real life crooks to be cops and hiring real life cop cops to play crooks and then getting Prosky who's like 50 in his first theatrical role to come in and it's just like it, it feels so like if you knew about this local guy who was a theater actor in my local you know um community 
he could outact, you know, Laurence Olivier. And you're like, whatever. And th- this is the movie where it kind of does it. It's like, who the hell is this guy? He- he's better yeah. than anyone we've ever seen before. It kind of does that. It gets all these little component parts of all these unexpected people. And when it puts them together, there's a harmony that is almost like it's it can never be replicated because then immediately as soon as they're identifiable and they've got this you know this juice that people want to also you know sample it's like it's never going to be the same again because it was just that one time that one piece of alchemy that's it yeah yeah i think that also speaks to the very chicago nature of the movie too yes kind of that sort of big city but also a very working class city in a lot of ways very much a union town speaking of the labor pieces of this movie as well and then also I love Chicago. I feel like the city does have a little bit of a complex as being the second city in comparison to New York City and then also kind of caught in between New York and L.A. in some interesting ways. And we're not always going to complain about it, but there is still that tension there. And I think that more like you turn around the corner, you're not going to see a celebrity. You turn around the corner, you're going to see your neighbor and they're going to have a really interesting face and really interesting stories to tell. And I think that that works so well with this movie too, because everybody on the on film in this movie has such an interesting face. And a lot of that is because they are those ordinary people who may also have been able to go on and have good careers on screen, but because they're unknowns there, they feel so fresh. Even if you recognize their face from a later project, it's still, this is the young version of this person, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, the young version of the old Dennis Farina because he like yeah. came in like at that exact age. John Santucci who plays Arizzi is like a real life, you know, crook. Um, there's faces, there's actors, you won't necessarily know them, but it's like Walter Scott, Gavin McFadden, Tom Signorelli, all these faces. Obviously the beautiful Tuesday world, you know, is is the oh, offside yeah. of here. And, and, and then again, which you talk about in your piece, that beautiful, the beautiful performance of Willie Nelson as mm-hmm. Okla, who leans forward and says you know get me out of here you know that, I love that, that line delivery. it's 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 a it's perfection he looks at frank in such an interesting loving caring way and when he when he comes sneaks up on him with that line his eyes are wide and they they show fear and he says you know get me out of here and doesn't strike me as a guy that ever would look like he was fearful always looks so casual and relaxed and like the world will just roll around him but um yeah it's it's so special he was so special in this movie as well it's such a beautiful moment of vulnerability too and for all of its hard edges i think this is also a movie that gets vulnerability right because it's the kind of thing that you only do when you're willing to let your guard down around people that you trust so you get the vulnerability in the diner scene but you also get that vulnerability right there in that moment of of get me out of here i don't want to die in here um and i think with those few words he's effectively telling frank like I love you. I trust you. I need you to be the person that I was for you when we were both inside. And the fact that he's able to get all of that across with just that one simple line reading really speaks to the efficiency of the script, I think, but also just the power of Willie Nelson as a performer. He's just so, so good in this. He's super special. Yeah, he's... This movie is is like hallowed turf you know it's it's really hard like uh first nations people in in australia uh, uh, some some indigenous people like uh, they believe that they they don't mention the names of people or show photographs of people who've passed in their culture Mm. because it brings back their their spirit and so you have to be sort of delicate 
you know, in Australia, sometimes when we're doing documentaries and things like that, we'll often put, you know, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who have those beliefs, like faces and the names of people who have passed away are, are going to be said again. And, um, you know, I, I kind of, I think that that's kind of a, a, a beautiful and haunting sentiment of the past as it moves past that, like you're bringing these people back to life and sometimes their mm. spirit are going to have, it's not always going to be about positive. Sometimes it's going to bring back heartache and it's going to bring back trauma. And I've watched Thief and fortunately for me, it's still a celebration, but I almost think that like whenever I hear it now, there's all of these actors and great performances and great, you know, uh, you know, people who've had such an influence or impact over me in my cinematic viewing life that, and, 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 had an impact on our culture that you watch it and you're like, oh, it's like a sorrowful thing that all of these people, so many of them are no longer with us. And this is that one time that they're all together and all in harmony beautifully in this great and powerful and affecting piece. Um, but yeah, it's, all these people are so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. And, and sad and affecting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, I don't have anything intelligent to say about it other, no, other than well said. Yeah. No, well, Look, thank you so much for doing this little bonus. Thank you for your beautiful piece. And uh, I want to read the last line of your piece, which is, he pulls off the perfect job. He walks out without any money and leaves no trace of himself behind. He abandons the dream. It was all only paper anyway. Thank you so much for your beautiful piece. Thank you so much for talking to me and uh, and and tussling um, with Thief again. And uh, and just thank you so much. So do you want to plug, is there anywhere else that you want to plug now uh, for people to find you, for people to read uh, anything? Please, Sarah, share because uh, I'm so grateful for your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, Blake. This was a, a wonderful conversation. Um, people can find me all over the internet at Dodgy Boffin. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's funny, you know, all over the I, internet. I am all over the internet at Dodgy Boffin. Probably the easiest way to get in touch with me is just through my newsletter. It's dodgyboffin.ghost.io. Um, I just send out weekly issues with links to the stuff that I've written or that I've podcasted about. So um, if you want to keep up with me, that's the best way to do it. I'm also a staff writer for the aforementioned Brightwall Darkroom. Love everybody there. And I also write an additional newsletter called Seeing and Believing with Kevin McLenathan, who's a fellow Chicago critic out here, where we review newer releases and then whatever else we feel like writing about. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.